don't already have uh, a pen, I'm going to encourage you to get something to write with. It will really come in handy today. Um, also, you should have received one of these cards that looks like this. If you did not get one when you got in because you snuck in, would encourage you to uh, go back. There are some folks that would love to give you one. Grab it. It'll be something that you can use at the end of the service. Really encourage you to, to have that as well. I believe that uh, God wants to do some really incredible things today. In fact, it was one of the first things that was on my heart this morning is just to ask him for just that. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, I got all sorts of ideas and I've got lots of great ideas, but I know his ideas are always the best ones. And so I want him to do what he wants to do. I'm going to share with you Psalm 1 today, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation here in just a few moments, but I'm going to share it with you the way I learned it. And uh, I'm going to take some of the, 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 the off just because I've learned how to do that. But I learned it in the King James Version, which is a version of the English Bible that has been used since um, the 16, late 1600s. And uh, in the English-speaking world, it's been used again and again and again and again. And uh, it's beautifully written, uh, but very unlike the English that we speak today, whatever that is, depending on where you're at in this country. So... Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and this should perk your attention, whatever he does shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which is the stuff that you don't eat that surrounds grain. It's like the chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore, the ungodly should not stand in judgment. So are sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I learned that many, many, many years ago. In fact, it's now decades ago. Let's just be honest. And one of the things that when I learned that, and I committed it to memory that I wanted to see as to whether or not God's word was true. Because there's some huge promises here. And there's some huge commands here. So I said to myself as a young man, I'm going to put this to the test. I'm going to see if what God says in here is actually true for today. And I can tell you without reservation that the promises contained in these verses that I've just shared with you are promises that God has kept. He's kept them in ways that didn't really fit my structure, but he's kept them nonetheless. And he's kept them in such a way that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has indeed done exactly that. He has kept his promises. And I've tested the other side. Well, what if I don't do these things? What's the result of that? And I've seen the other side, not just the promise in success and whatever I set my hand to, but also if I don't meditate on his word day and night, and I don't cherish delight in his word, what happens then? Well, I'm not standing in the congregation of the righteous anymore, and the Lord doesn't know my way, and I do get lost in this world. And so I really want to share with you uh, this passage, and we're going to work through it just like we do every week, but I'm going to share it with you to the very specific point of simply this. This congregation is decided by the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit to almost unanimously get into his word over the next 40 days. I'm, I'm amazed. You know, it went from half to three quarters to there are a number of the number of people who purchased this book that I did not write and I get no profit from. 
is equal to the number of people that have been attending here. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's worth saying, thank you, Lord. You know, just praising God that we would agree that this is what we're going to do as a congregation together for the next 40 days. We're going to get in his word. Now, some of you are like, well, I didn't. Well, you're missing out. So stop it. Don't miss out. We'll, we'll order you more books if you were the late person or you just didn't hear or whatever. It doesn't matter. Really want to spend time in God's word every day and then gather together in groups to discuss what God's doing in our lives. It's, it's worth your time. And the skills that you learn in, in, over these next six weeks, studying God's word will blow you away. And it's things that you can use every day. And one of the things as a pastor that I've heard more times than I can count over the past uh, 20 some odd years is I don't know God's will for me. Well, most people don't know what God's will is for their life for two reasons, and they're very simple, and you can find them in Romans 12. The first one is they don't offer themselves up, which I'm going to challenge you to do at the end of our time today. And the second thing is they don't spend time in God's word. So whenever somebody says, I don't know God's will for me, you know, how do I find out God's will? I'm telling those two things every single time, because that's what God says. If you really want to be confident of my will, these are the two things you need to say, I'm yours, Lord. Okay, everything I am, everything God, just like the song says, you know, I'm yours, I'm, I'm living, I'm your sacrifice. And the second thing is I need to be in your word. Because when we're in God's word, when we're listening to what he said to the generations in the past, we know what he's saying to us. And we develop an ear for God's Holy Spirit. And even when things get said to us that are outside of, of scripture, like I need you to get up from where you're at sitting right now and move over here and sit over here, which God does those kinds of things. And if we develop the ear for that, then we're like, okay, God, not sure why I'm, you care where I sit, but I'm going to go sit over here. And then when we find out that we're there and God moves something else into our lives and we're in the right spot and the right time, we're like, man, this is a God thing. Oh yeah, you told me how to do that then you really begin to just have the joy of being part of what God's doing in this world. I want each and every one of us to have that joy day by day by day and to be confident, especially when the days are difficult, which they can often be really difficult, whether it be with health or jobs or our families or our friendships or our other relationships. In those difficult days, to have that very deep confidence and incredible peace that God is working even now, this moment in my life and working through me. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, find Psalm 1. It's the very first one. If you don't know where the Psalms are, just open up to the middle and you will find the Psalms because it takes up a lot of space in the, in the Bible. Find Psalm 1. And I'm going to again go over this passage. It's going to sound a little different than I learned it, but that's okay. There's new insights that we'll be able to get from that. And then we're going to break it down. We're going to apply it to our life, and I'm going to challenge you. Now, last week, I said, hey, don't come this week if you don't want to be challenged. I see there's some faces this week that weren't here last week, so sorry you weren't warned ahead of time. And I see that there's some faces here that were here last week that said, hey, listen, I'm going to watch on Facebook just so I can see uh, what's going on and not have to be obligated. That's okay. God knows where you are. You cannot hide from him. You definitely can hide from me, but not hide from him. Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Now, I'm going to stop right here because this isn't in the focus of what I'm going to be teaching, but I really want to catch this last phrase because in the past 20 some odd years in our culture, 
we've adopted the exact opposite of what it just says. We love to join in mocking culturally. Now, there's this pushback on this, you know, you can't be a hater and da-da-da-da, but we're so hypocritical in our culture. It is just absolutely astounding to me because on the one side, you can't say anything that could remotely possibly hurt somebody's feelings. And if you do, then you're the worst person on the planet. But on the other hand, you can say the most bombastic, hateful, ugly, terrible things about people that the culture says are worthy of hating. It makes no sense to me, but this is just kind of where we're at. But those who are in Christ, those who are followers of the Lord, we are supposed to be exempt from that behavior entirely. The world might sneer and be snarky and be mean and do all the things that we love as a culture right now, but that's not us. We don't have that pull to be joining in that. In fact, we have a command to stay away from it. So rather than following the advice of the wicked or standing around with sinners or joining in with the mockers, those who love the snark, who love the ugly comment, they do something different. They delight in what? The of who? The Lord. The law of the Lord. Now, in modern Christian world, we don't often use that phrase because we like the Lord to be more of a consultant, you know, somebody that kind of helps us out, gives us good tips for life, but one that isn't the law. And we don't really use the Lord except for in our songs because A, we don't really have lords in our culture anymore, and B, if we understand what that is, we don't really like that all either because we like to be the boss of us. I'm the boss of me. If I were to translate this into just common vernacular, just the way we speak to each other, I would say it this way. The delight of these people is in the absolute rule of the boss, capital B. That's difficult, but that's what we're called to in Christ is to realize who is the true boss of us. And it isn't me and it isn't you and it isn't our boss at work or our teacher, or some other authority, all of us are under the authority with a capital A. We talked about the big chair some weeks ago. It's the one who sits in the big chair, and it's not supposed to be us. It is his rule, his command that we have to delight on, and that we meditate on it, we think about it, we consume it day and night. So there's no exemptions. You know, oftentimes people who are religious, they have this time that they will do their religious thing, Sunday mornings, Saturday nights, whenever, and they get some sort of warm fuzzy from it. They get some sort of helpful tip for life, and they might apply that throughout the week. But there's not this, this need for consuming God's authority day and night constantly in fact we have little exemptions okay god kind of turn yourself off don't know what i'm doing because i'm not really proud of it or i don't i know it's not in your will so kind of turn the other way for right now and i'll call you when i need you again that's what we do practically but that's not what god's called us to be called us to do these people who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. In our understanding and in our reality, fruit's born in a season. 
But here is this promise that God's going to be working in our life. He's going to be producing stuff in every season. So in the middle of winter, which is where we're at, even though today feels really like spring, but in the middle of winter, when things are dead all around it, we're still laden with things that God is doing in our lives, fruit that comes from his presence. Their leaves never never wither and they prosper in all that they do. But not the wicked. They're like the worthless chaff scattered in the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the what? The Lord watches over the path of the what? Godly. But the path of the wicked leads where? To destruction. We don't really like that, too, because we kind of say, you know, hey, there's many roads to God. It doesn't matter which road you're on. It's just, you know, it all gets there to the same spot. Well, the scripture says Old Testament and New Testament. That's not true, period. It recognizes there are many paths. Okay, that 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 part is true. There are many paths that we can take in life. But there is a path that leads to life and the rest of them lead to destruction i know that's really narrow-minded and very exclusive i didn't make it up and this isn't for me i mean for me i'm i would prefer to have lots of different ways because it relieves me the responsibility of the path i'm on i just do my thing because that's what the culture says you you just do your thing and i'll do my thing we'll all get together and it'll all be great and we know it's not great because we live in this world it ain't great But when we together agree that there is a path that leads to life, only one, and it's not a path that I've created, and it's not a path that you're created, but it's a path that God created, and he wants as many as possible to be on that path that we get to experience abundant life now and eternal life forever, then we impact this culture that we have as a congregation, this culture that we have as a community, this culture that we have as a nation, and the culture that we have as a world. That changes everything. But when we are all doing our little thing and all doing the things that we think that are best, we've got to be truthful that as fun as this may be and as emotionally encouraging as this may be, at the end, it's going to create destruction. So I want to give you just three really foundational things to take away. And I really want to challenge you to today, if the Lord allows, but today, to make that first step. The very first thing that I want to share with you from this passage is blessing is found when delight is directed properly. Blessing is found when delight is directed properly. Now, we have lots of things that delight us. You know, we, we go to the ATM, we put in our little card, and the balance comes up on the on the screen and it's more money than we expected that's a delight right that actually happened to me once a family and i were going through a really tough time and i'd been moved from one coast to another coast and it was just it was it's a incredibly hard it was just a hard time and we had three little kids no friends no family um living in the washington dc area and i had to go on a business trip and, you know, I could just tell on Michelle's face that uh, this was not a good time to go on a business trip. So I did the only thing I could think of to do. 
And I said, well, why don't you and the kids come with me? We're going to go up to you know, Atlantic City. I've got to be at this, this business trip, and the hotel's paid for, and uh, we can just drive there. It'll, it'll be cheap. You know, the food, you know, we can just eat in the hotel. It, it, it'll, it'll be fine. And so she said, sure. So we packed up the kids and went up to Atlantic City, which I found was nothing like what they said on television. Um, it was quite the dump, but that's another story entirely. So anyway, we're, we're up in Atlantic City, and she's staying there. And uh, I needed, I, I didn't know about this thing called a toll road, because where I was from on the West Coast, we had none, zero toll roads. Never been on one before. And so I go up from the D.C. area up to Atlantic City, and I have to pay to be on the road. So I have these, this cash, and uh, it's all gone. So now I have to get cash to go back because they won't let me on the road unless I pay for it. So I go to the ATM at the hotel. I'll never forget this. I knew I had $27 in my checking account. So that meant I could get my 20 out to pay the tolls and have seven whole dollars left. You ever been there? If not... Praise God. So, but I was there. So um, I put in my card and um, to get my, my last 20 out, and up in the screen is, is 4,000 some odd dollars. And I literally laughed out loud. I canceled the transaction, put my card back in, 4,000 and some odd dollars. I'm like, this is the funniest thing that has ever happened to me because I knew exactly how much money I had in the check. I had 27 bucks. So because... Of verse 1, I pulled out $20 because I knew that that would be a 7. So we, we got back home. I paid the tolls. I called the bank the next day because we were traveling on Sunday. I called the bank. And I said, you will not believe this. Somebody has put 4000 however many dollars in my checking account, and it doesn't belong to me. Will you check into this? Oh, yes, Mr. Franklin. We'll check right into that. I mean, that bank was all over that. Oh, thank you for letting us know and not... not, not uh, withdrawing that money that, that wasn't yours. I said, well, would you have come got it? And, oh, yes, we would have. I said, well, there you go. It's going to sit right there. So every about four days, I would call back and say, hey, you know, hey, that money's still here. Have you not found who that belongs to? Well, Mr. Franklin, we're really, really working on this. And so long story short, in about three weeks of weekly calling there, he said, Mr. Franklin, this is your money. And I told him, I flat out said, I said, this is not my money. I haven't had $4,000 in my checking account since I had children. So my oldest is almost five. So th this is not my money. And they said, well we'll, well, we'll keep on working. And so after one month, I called him and I said, okay, it's been a month. Whose money is this? And uh, the, the gal at the bank, she said, Mr. Franklin, this is your money. I said, so I'm going to write you a note and I'm going to tell you that I'm going to take this money out if it is mine and you're not getting it back. Is this okay? Mr. Franklin, we're sure it is your money. I said, okay. So I wrote him a note. And I said, okay, I'm going to withdraw. And I figured out, you know, minus the $7 that was mine. And I said, I'm going to take it all out and I'm keeping it because you've told me for four weeks this is my money. So I sent the letter off and uh, made sure that they got it. Nothing happened. And then I took every penny of that out. I put it someplace else, and I spent every penny of it someplace else. We see, um, come to find out later on that that was my money, that God literally put that in there because Michelle and I had, before we went on that trip, we said, Lord, we, we're just in a bad place, and so we need you to provide for us. We're not going to share how you're going to do it, but we really trust that you will do it, and 
so we really we need these these things you know that, to be taken care of and so god just drew from his bank account which i guess had more than four thousand dollars in it and put it in my bank account and we spent every penny of it and never heard about it again never heard about it again so you know there's these things that 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 god allows us to experience in blessing when our focus is directed properly so if it's money and that's all it is then that's not going to be a delight that's going to last forever it's going to be a delight that ends in destruction but if it's in the lord and we go to him and say lord you know this is what we need and then god miraculously provides that and i've shared this story so many times over the years that god just did that he didn't have to. He could have left the $7 in whatever sense, and I've been happy with it. I had not in a million thoughts thought that God would put a penny in my checking account. He knew how it got to $7 in whatever sense it was, but he did. He did. And so the delight wasn't in having the 4000 which was very delightful, don't get me wrong, but the delight was in the Lord did this. Same thing in our relationships, same things in our achievements, whether it be on the sports field or in our jobs or whatever it is. When we have delight in anything else other than what the Lord is doing and how he rules as the boss of our lives, then those things will pass away. And when we really understand where our blessing comes from, then we are truly and genuinely blessed. But in order to get there, our delight has to be where it needs to be. It needs to be directed properly. So it's great to delight in our kids, but anybody who has kids knows that they'll disappoint you. It's great to delight in success at work, but anybody that's worked for any time knows that you're going to mess up and somebody's going to chew you out or somebody chew you out for doing the right job. It doesn't really matter. It's going to happen. We delight in all sorts of things, but if we don't delight in the Lord and his rule in our life, we're missing out on the biggest blessings. So here's just a real practical application. Don't stop delighting in the things that are good in your life. They're worthy of being de delighted in. But let's change it so it really becomes a blessing to delight in those things. Because uh, Michelle and I have been blessed with six kids, and we delight in all six of them. And they're very different people, all of them. But we delight in them because they're gifts from the Lord, not because of what they do or who they are, but because they're gifts from the Lord. And so when they don't act like gifts, they act like something other than gifts, which parents know happens, right? Parents, this does happen. Um, then we don't stop delighting in them because we know what? They're gifts from the Lord. It's the same thing with our jobs. We might get a job. It's just it's a fantastic thing. It's like, oh, man, this is the job I've been looking for forever. And then we do it for three days. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a terrible job. And if we're just delighting in the job, then it's terrible. Because that's what it is. It's terrible. But if we delight in the Lord who allows us to be in a place for a time, whether it be three days or three years or 30, three decades, to be his hands extended to the people that we work with, then the job, why it may stink, and it doesn't change that it stinks and it's hard and whatever, you may be not delightful about it, that doesn't necessarily change, but we can delight in that and be blessed in that because we realize that God is using us in that space for his glory.
It changes our perspective on everything. And then we can truly say, no matter what the circumstance, we are blessed because God is working. He's the rule of our life. His law is working its way out in us. And we're responding to him as the boss of our lives. And so we are blessed, period. That's just, that's the state of our being. It's powerful if you let it sink in and work out. Second principle I want to share with you is that success is found when unlimited resource is tapped. Look back to verse 3 of our passage. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper all that they do. Well, David, who wrote this psalm most likely, lived in a desert area. And so he's using pictures that are very familiar. But we see this even here. You know, if, if you drive over the 275 bridge or you know, go over to Cincinnati, you see that along the riverbanks are lots of things growing. Why? Because water's there. That's right. Nutrients are there. Pollution too, but that's another thing. There, there's things there that that vegetation needs to grow, and it's there all the time. You following? Because there's this constant stream of water going through the licking, going through the Ohio. Now, it ebbs and flows, sometimes way too much, sometimes a little less than before, but it's constantly there. And this is what David is saying to those who sing this song. You know, when we're connected to God, when our roots are in him and in his word, there's a constant sustenance that's coming from an untappable resource and it gives what we need all the time, 100%, never fails. That's why it really annoys me when people say to me, or even in my presence, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. That's just not true. It's not true. It is a lie from Satan. And if you said that, I'm sorry, but it's a lie. Don't feel too bad. I've lied too. God says, I will never put you in a situation that you have to sin, and that's the only thing that you can do. That's in the scripture. It's in Corinthians. God never lets a temptation happen that he doesn't provide a means of escape. The very same one that wrote this psalm says that he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. You know that one. But we fear no evil because he is with us. So God will never put you in a circumstance that he will not walk you through. That's the truth. And so it isn't about you. It's about him in you and about his resources in you so that the things that happen that no human being can stand or withstand, you will not because of you, but because of him in you because you're drawing from that unlimited resource that never taps out. That's why we can love people who are unlovable. We can endure things that are undurable. We can experience the worst of the worst of the worst and still come through because he is that big in us. And that's where genuine and true success is found. It isn't in having a big fat bank account, which are very nice. It isn't in having a position of authority and power. Those are very nice. Or being famous for a good reason and not an infamous one. You know, that's okay. I mean, those are, are, those are fine things, but it, it, that's not success. 
Success is that in every day of our lives, drawing from the sustenance, the resource that comes from a relationship with God and his love flowing into us and flowing through us so that the people that are in our lives are experiencing the best of God because they're with us. That is genuine success and true fruit. If you know the Bible, you know that Paul writes to the church at Galatia and he says, the fruit of the Spirit is such... And he starts out with a four-letter word. Do you know this? Because all of the things that are, that are wrapped up in this is love. God's love flowing in us. And so that love allows us to experience success in our jobs, success in our relationships, success in the world's terms of success. But you know what? In God's economy, the most successful people are not the ones that have the fattest bank accounts or the most toys or the biggest number of followers on Twitter. The truest ones, the ones who will be wealthy forever and ever and ever in eternity are the ones that are the greatest and clearest expressions of his love. Third thing. Separation is found when truth is character. What does that mean? Well, verses 4, 5, and 6 is all about separation, about two camps. There's the camp of the righteous, which we really don't even value anymore in our culture, but which is valuable, and the camp of the wicked, which we don't even really recognize in the culture, unless something does, somebody does something really bad, you know, like shoot a bunch of people or... You know, I read an article this morning. It was gruesome about a guy who cut his dog in half with his chainsaw. I mean, who does that? I mean, and what do you do with a person that would do something like that? I mean, it's just disgusting. So we say those people are wicked, right? I mean, you shoot a bunch of people, you cut your dog in half with a chainsaw, you know, you're bad, okay? But the rest of us, we're just, we're not righteous because it's bad to be righteous because then you're better than everybody else and we're not wicked because we don't shoot a lot of people or cut our dogs in half with the chainsaw. We're just kind of in the middle good, right? That's what we say. But there's no middle good in Scripture at all. We're either following the will of God or we're wicked. I know it's mean, isn't it? But it's true. And so what is, how do we be in one camp or the other camp? Well, the Scripture's very clear. When we make God the boss of our life and we obey his rule, we enter into the congregation of the righteous and God knows our path because he's created it for us and that's the one he's designed for us to walk on. And this is, this is, a, this is an incredible principle that we see all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. You know, Jesus, when he even calls his followers, the 12 apostles, the disciples as, as we often call them, he calls them not to some philosophical change. He calls them not to some change in their occupation, although all of their occupations was changed. He didn't call them to any other thing than he said this. Come, blank me. Follow. I heard it. Come, follow me. And then he spoke to the crowds, and this is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in Matthew twice, and in Luke twice, 
He said, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, a disciple of mine, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that following means that if you desire to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, and a couple of the gospel says, and for, for the sake of the gospel, you'll find it. So this is where we find rightness, is in following Christ. In all things, following Christ. In the things that we find that we're not following Christ, following Christ. And that puts us on a path that says about us that God knew us before the world was created. And in his infinite wisdom and his incredible power and in his just absolutely incredible imagination, he said, that chubby little boy who's so full of fear that he can't even get a paragraph out without getting caught up in a horrible stutter, the one who's connected to things that are going to destroy his life through his extended family dynamic, this one is going to be part of my work. And I've got things that I'm going to design in him to do and he's going to mess it up and he's going to do it wrong and he's going to forget and he's going to be a human being. But in the end, more than any other thing in his life, he wants to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. And it's not just for that chubby little stuttering boy. Does that promise apply? But for every single person here God knows you as an individual and he's designed you on purpose to be the way that you are and do you know what the problem is I'm saying this very nicely okay do you know what the problem is as opposed to your problem because then you'd be offended but that's what I mean but I'm going to say it nicely okay do you know what the problem is the problem isn't who you are the problem is who's the boss that's the problem. God designs us with things that are natural to us that when we offer it to him under his authority, he changes it to be something beautiful because that's the way he created it to be. We change it into something unacceptable. We change it into something offensive. We change it into something destructive. That's what we do. We don't take a class in it, you know, there's not in first grade, you know, they get all the little kids together and say, okay, you know, you're really loud, so we're going to let you um, understand that you're going to destroy the word, world with your big mouth, you know, you're really in the, the drama, and so your, your job is to make sure that you're creating trub, trouble for the next uh, 12 years with all your classmates, you know, you're really aloof, so we're going to make sure that you drive your teachers nuts by picking your nose for the first five years, and then saying things that are completely off topic and getting the class in an uproar for the next six years you know we don't have that class do we but all of those things happen because we're just human we're really good at becoming destructive but we're really poor at even those of us who've been redeemed by the lord it's to say listen you know god made me loud for a purpose and there's things that when i'm being loud at his command that makes that worthwhile God made me ability to stir things up for a purpose. And when I'm stirring things up for the sake of God and his kingdom, then that is a good thing. The picking the nose, I don't know. We'll figure that one out. 
You, you get it? You, you get it? This, this is incredible. And this is the separation that we have to deal with in this world. We're either being obedient to God's rule in our life or we're wicked. There's no in between. No middle ground. Period. Jesus even says it this way. You're either for me or you're my enemy. That's not nice. What if you're not like for for Jesus, but you're not like against against him? Can you just kind of be okay with Jesus? Can he be just all right? Not according to Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. That's it. You want to be a follower of mine? You got to follow me. That's just the way it goes. And so that's the choice we need to make. So I promised I was going to challenge with some practical application. So here it comes. The moments that you've been waiting for, dreading it, I don't know. God gave just as clear a message as I've ever had uh, to share with this congregation. And it's not a message that's unique to this congregation. It's just one that at the time needed to be said. And I've repeated it and repeated it and repeated it. And I'm going to repeat it once again today. There are three things that this group of Christians absolutely must do to take hold of that which God has set before it to be part of. And it's going to be awesome. Whatever it is, I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. Trust me, if God's in it, it'll be mind-boggling. It's a lot better than finding $4,000 in your checking account. Trust me, much, much bigger than that, okay? And that was pretty cool, by the way. So um, these three things have to happen in this people to get there. Number one, we've got to learn to love each other the way that Jesus loves us, period. And that doesn't come, there's no pill to give. There's no study Say, okay, do these 12 things. This is a day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, should the Lord tarry, experience of learning to do that. If you've been married to anybody for any period of time, you know the reality of that. The love that you have for your spouse when you're dating is different than the love that you have when they're keeping you up in the middle of the night snoring, right? That's a different kind of love. Okay? You, 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 when you say, I do, that just doesn't automatically happen. You learn that over a period of time. And so God's given us all these very practical experiences in our life to let us know that our relationship with each other as believers, because we're not connected by blood, we're not connected by economic status, social status, educational status, we're connected by something that is more precious than anything in this world, in the past, in the future, in the present, more valuable than anything. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we remember that and somebody's really annoying us by snoring in our sleep time or really annoying us by doing something that just really rubs us the wrong way, if we remember it is not my love that I'm giving to them, but Christ's love, the most valuable thing in this world beyond any measure, then we treat each other radically differently. Sometimes it's confrontational. Roll over. All right? Sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes it's somewhere in between. Sometimes it's just, and we just deal. 
but it's God's love. That's the very first thing. People ask me, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? The first step is this. And everything else will fall into line when this people start doing things just as it comes. It's just love. I had this wonderful experience with one of the deacons this, this week of just going to three places and praying with three families. That's all we did. It took less than two hours. And I got a hug. I got a, um, from a guy, by the way. And I was, I was like, wow, this is really awesome. And um, got a, you know, I've never had this happen before. And I've got to thank you for waking me up. <laughs> this is really cool that you just come and just pray with me. I mean, and it was done in less than two hours. Okay? Just a simple thing. Just say, hey, what well, can I pray with you? Just want you to know I love you. And just starting there. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be complex. We, Satan always loves to say, well, you got to have this big program and you know, do all this thing. You know, anything that we can do to genuinely love somebody else who's part of God's family is a thing of God. Anything. And once you get started on it, it gets kind of addictive and you want to do more of it. And it doesn't always end up well. Sometimes we love people and they're mean to us or whatever. You know, roll over. What's the matter with you? You're waking me up. I've been awake for the last half an hour listening to you go, you know, that happens. But you don't end a relationship because of that. You just love them. Just love them. That's the first thing. We got to love each other the way that who loves us? Jesus loves us. Okay. So you got to figure out ways to doing that. You know, God's very creative and he'll, he'll make it do. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it has to be done. Second thing, we need to receive restoration through repentance. God restores those who return to him. He heals us. And you might say, you know, pastor, you don't understand. You know, I've got all this stuff that's gone on and da 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 da, da. I get it. Trust me. And I'm not diminishing that in one little bit. I've been hurt deeply by people who call themselves Christians. I bear scars because of people who call themselves Christians. But I realize that in this day, in this moment, they are not my problem. I am my problem. And so what I need to do is I need to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what is it about me that I need to surrender to you? You know what? God always has a stinking answer for that question every time. I'm looking forward to God saying, no, you're okay. You're doing, you know, <laughs> he's always got something. It's because he's picking on me. It's because he loves me and he wants me to be the best reflection of Jesus that I can be. So when I ask God that question, he always answers. He said, well, you know, I'm glad you asked. You know, you got this thing that you really need to surrender to me. Or, hey, this, you're just flat out disobedient. It just depends on where I'm at. But when he does that, it isn't a whooping. It's a restoration. You know, those wounds that I've received from other people who call themselves Christians begins to heal because the Holy Spirit's working in me. He's like that, 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 uh, just antibiotic that has a great effect on day three. You know, you felt like death on day two, but day three, it kicks in. It's like, wow, I could conquer the world. You know, it, 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 it's like that, that 
rain that comes through on that hot summer day and it's and it comes with a cool breeze and it's just like sweat and dust and it comes through and it's like wow this was just hugely refreshing you know it's it's like the compliment that we get on a dreary depressing day that we just didn't see coming and and it just gives us hope that the day is going to actually turn out not not terrible you know it is that thing that the holy spirit does in us except for it's lasting and it's so incredibly powerful but it starts in repentance not somebody else's repentance my repentance and god wants us to experience that joy of just that restoration so that's the second thing First thing, love each other the way that Jesus loves us. Second, be restored because we're repenting. The third thing is join the mission of Jesus. We always want to be active doing something so that we don't have to deal with one and two. Because one and two are the more difficult things. Doing number three is the easiest. We can get together and do nice things. But folks, you do not need Jesus to do nice things. You do not. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're doing something without Jesus being the center of what we're doing, then we're really doing nothing at all, even if it's a nice thing. And trust me, in this world right now, there are thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people doing very, very nice things to other human beings because they are and not because of Christ. There's a mission that we're to be on is his people. And I don't know the boundaries of that mission. That's not for me to say. But I can say that God has a mission for this congregation. And he's preserved this congregation for that purpose. And that he will reveal it as we do, number one, number two. Love each other the way Jesus loves us and repent and be restored. Because God will give us the things that we can do in him and only we can do with him. If we just settle for doing nice things in the community or whatever, they'll be well received and we'll clap ourselves on the back and say, good job, but it won't be of the Lord. And it will amount to nothing. But when we're joining Jesus in his mission, he said he's come to seek and say that was, which was what? Lost. And so we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We're going to see the place behind me filled so that we're celebrating new life in Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit does because we're on Jesus's mission. And we're going to see those people join this bigger group of of folks doing the things that God's designed them to do because they're learning how to make Jesus Lord of themselves. And then it's going to be really cool because we're like, wow, I didn't know that God does that. Well, the reason why we didn't know is because that person wasn't part of the family. And now they are, and God's doing an incredible thing. So here's the challenge, and I warned you last week, so here it is. Here's the challenge to be an excited, qualified, unbelievable, invested person. All right? So you've got a blank thing right here. In, in a few minutes, we're going to have a time to respond. And uh, I, I would prefer that you don't sing. It'll be wonderfully done up here. But I, I would really prefer, if you would, uh, ask the Lord, what is it about me that you want to use? And let me give you some examples. Okay? Um, one of the first weeks that I came to Highland Hills, I was attending a meeting in the evening, and there was a really incredible thing going on. I was so, just so excited when I saw it. There was uh, an older lady, and I hope she won't be offended because she knows who she is, um, with a teenage lady. And the older lady was teaching the teenage 
young lady a skill. I thought, wow, that's incredible. Has it ever happened before? Yes, it's happened in generations before. Incredible things have gone on. But it was in the context of passing down biblically wisdom from one generation to another through this skill that the older lady had developed over years. And so what has God made you good at? What do you do that you're good at, that you enjoy this? Like, man, I can, I can really, I can make this happen. And then answer that question. Say, God made me good at, and then write something down. Now, if you're really, really good, write several things down. You say, well, this doesn't apply to the church. Oh, yes, it does. How do I know? Because if you're in Christ, you're part of the church, and God made you good at it. Not more complicated than that. So, I'm going to really challenge you to ask the question. And if you say, I'm not good at anything, you're a liar. Straight up, you're a liar. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. Period. So, you might have to write, I'm only good at complaining. Okay, well, we'll work with that. You know, because God does that. All right? Okay, so let's say. And then I'd like for you to write down what I would really like to offer in service to God's kingdom is. And then write that down. And then here's the really tough one. Put your name on it. Anonymous, I'm really good at, and I'd really like to offer. Doesn't help anybody. Except for maybe your conscience, I don't know. But put your name on it. You say, well, I can't think that fast. And there's some people that can't, and that, that is great. I've learned to really value people that need to really think very deeply about that. That's okay. I'm going to... Uh, give you permission and also hold you accountable, but give you permission. If you're one of those people that really needs to mull over things and kind of process stuff through, and I've thrown a ton of it at you, and you just got to unwind it, you can take this home, put it someplace to where over the next six days, God will speak to you, and then you write it down and you bring it. And so at the end of the time of response, we're going to have the offering plates pass like we do, and I'm going to encourage you to put these in that offering plate. Because what I'm going to ask of you is that you are offering yourself, not to me, not to this congregation, Highland Hills Church, but to the Lord. By recognizing, hey, God, you've made me good at this and this and this and this. And I would really like to offer in your kingdom this thing, or maybe this and this, maybe this and this and this. I don't know. But respond to him. I've found in my fellowship of Jesus Christ, in different denominations, in different parts of the United States, the most exciting, qualified, unbelievably invested people who are gathered together in congregations are doing this simple thing of saying, God, you've made me good at some stuff. And I'd like to offer this as a living sacrifice to you. And when we do that, we can learn, begin to know God's will for us which is always good and pleasing and perfect. That's in Romans 12. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a time to respond. It's not going to be hours and hours, but it'll be a time to respond. I'm going to have a seat. You know, If you want to come pray with me, I'd be happy to pray with you, but I'm going to just have a seat. And I'm going to really encourage you to get those cards out and to think about it. 
And then at the end of that time, when we have the time to pass the plates, I'm going to encourage you to put that in. And again, I'm giving you permission if you're a deep thinker. I love you. I'm married to one, so I've really learned to appreciate that. That's okay. You work on it over this, over this week. But I'm going to ask you next week, along with the people who chose not to come today, i ask you next week, say, hey, you know, what is it that God's made you excited about? Because you're qualified and you can be unbelievably invested because he's doing this through you. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to challenge your people in this way. God, I, I thank you that it is not my agenda, but yours to celebrate the things that you did when you created each individual here. And Lord, I'd ask that especially for those that have been overlooked for so many years or um, maybe overlooked themselves for so many years, Lord, that you'd stir their hearts right now and, and, and just allow them to hear from you. I made you good at this. Give it to me. And Lord, that they would be just joyfully generous in giving that to you. Father, I pray that as we gather these responses together and we pray over them and we begin to reform this congregation into the image of not some program, in the image of not some pastor, but in the image of what you designed them to be, how you've stuck them together, how you've walked them through even the valley of the shadow of death, that God, that we would be able to say, you are amazing, amazing, amazing. Far bigger than any mystery deposit to a checking account far bigger than any miraculous healing of a physical ailment far bigger than any relational unraveling so big that we can't even begin to imagine what you can and will do when we surrender ourselves to you father i pray that your holy spirit would move tremendously right now in the power of jesus name